Well, good evening, everybody. Hope that you are doing well. Welcome to Grace Moments Live with Pastor Rich. I'm Pastor Rich, in case you didn't know that already. And I'm so glad that you're with us for tonight. Got a really fantastic topic for us to discover and explore together and to be able to do so with a good friend. Hey, we kick off every single Wednesday night with this quote by Frederick Buechner, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery that it is and the boredom and the pain of it, just as much as in the excitement and the gladness of it. Touch, taste, and smell your way to the holy and hidden part of it, because in the end, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. We know that each and every moment of each and every day is a moment of grace, a gift from God, and we're privileged to be together and to be able to be on this journey, um, even though we're separate from one another as a local church, as well as for those who are tuning in from around the country, even some people who tune in from around the world. We're glad that you're with us for this particular topic. This is our last Grace Moments Live for the season, um, and so we should give a collective awe. We're going to take a little break for the summer. We're going to reevaluate we're going to evaluate even kind of what all of our different online enrichment programs are as we think about what uh, sustainability is going to look like for the long haul. So we're so glad that you're with us because we've got a fantastic speaker and topic to join me for tonight. When I got to New York City and started working at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, I had this really crazy supervisor for my first year and then a fantastic guy that came in. Uh, to rescue my intern experience. Uh, Greg Kutsona and I know each other for 20 years plus, and um, he's working currently up in Northern California at Chico State and teaching at their faculty there. He's got his PhD from down in the Graduate Theological Union School down in Berkeley. And most importantly, Greg is an all-around guy uh, that I just admire and love deeply. There are those friends that you pick up right where you left off, and Greg is one of those. He and Laura helped to model at a very early time uh, what it was going to be like to be a young family in faith and in ministry together. And Greg's been a pastor for over 20 years and has served in a variety of capacity. Um, so let's welcome Greg to our Grace Moments Live. Jump on with us, Greg. We'd love to have you join us. Well, here I am from Chico, California. Thank you. Oh my goodness, it's so early there. It's not even cocktail hour where you are. <laughs> nope, uh -uh. indeed not. I yeah, love glad the to be... fact that you got the professor glasses on and I can even see like big thick books in the background. I love that. It's really important to stage things just right. You know how it is. <laughs> Absolutely, got to keep up the, uh, got to keep up all of the, the looks. Hey, who was the worst intern you've ever had? Well, I don't know if this is the worst intern, but it's up there for the worst intern moment, at least. Uh, I had these, you know, this intern who I said, let's go do our regular supervisory time. And he said, hey, what if we go to a, uh, you know, like a place I'd like to go, like a sports bar. <laughs> so we, we traveled to the sports bar, which is down, like uh, down from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian, right in Times Square, right in the midst of everything. And I, you know, I was trying to be nice. This guy's new to me. So I'm like, hey, where would you like to sit? And he said, let's let me sit here. And it was too late by that point because guess what team we were watching as we had our intern supervisory time? The Dallas Cowboys. Oh my. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, was I snookered. Oh man, but it was good. It was always good. Um, Rich was really a, 
just a joy when you, when I walked in to this head of staff's office, Tom's office, and there you were, man, you, uh, you definitely brought energy and uh, kept bringing it the whole time you were, you were there at Fifth Avenue. So I'm not sure that uh, that makes you the worst intern, but it may be the, the worst intern moment because I'm a <laughs> 49ers fan and the Cowboys, you know how we feel about them. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, hey, everybody, as we start to dive into this tonight, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Greg and ask him some questions, but we'd love for this to be interactive. So throw in questions to the Q&A uh slot as well as the chat we'd love for you to interact with what we're talking about that way we can know what you're thinking because there's hundreds of you and there's only two of us so uh so let's uh, make sure that we get to connect on this way well greg you and i were both in new york city when another crisis happened 9 11 happened i was out in kind of the suburbs of new york city you were right in the heart of manhattan um what do you think's different about this crisis and what's similar about it I think one of the things that was different about 9-11 was, I mean, let's say similar. First of all, for similarities, as far as being a pastor, I'm sure you found this, Rich, that it was a really powerful time to be a pastor. It's like all of a sudden people understood what you were doing, or at least felt they understood. Uh, even the hard-edged New Yorkers, when I said I'm a pastor, like, oh, I can imagine that's really important right now. Um, I think the, the thing about 9-11 that was different, though, was even though it was you know international in scope, it was very localized. Yeah. in a couple of areas. And so, uh, you know, of course, Washington, D.C. being one of those, but New York being a, a major hub of where the crisis happened. And so all over the United States and even the world, there was there are resources pouring in. And now with uh, the COVID-19 crisis, it's like we're all in it together, right? And so that makes it a, a very different feel uh, as we as we support one another. The other thing I would say, and this actually comes from Tim Keller, because he was uh, asked a similar question uh, in a podcast on Monday night. And he said, you know, in 9-11, it really brought us together as a nation and as a people. I feel like we're really divided right now, especially given where we are in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic response. So uh, I say that with, with sadness and with, I guess, a hope and a challenge to us as, as Christians to, to heal those divisions. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I noticed too with that is that during 9-11, it was very different the way that people talked about it in New York City from outside New York City. So I'd go back to my home in Texas and you'd hear people talk about it and you could tell that for them 9-11 was a media event that affected their kind of nationalistic pride, whereas COVID is affecting all of us to different degrees, but all of us all over the country in in real time. And so mm -hmm. it is It is a very different and even polarizing kind of experience, depending on um, the health, the safety, the well-being, the economics of what we're all dealing with in this moment in time. Can you, can you catch people up just on a little bit, help us to get to know you a little bit on your kind of journey of faith, your story of faith? I grew up in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, what we call the Silicon Valley now. A hotbed of evangelical activity. <laughs> you, you got it. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's, it commonly shows up as the least uh, Christian or religious area in the United States. Um, and so I didn't grow up in a, a religious home or a home in which the, you know, there was Christian faith around me. It was actually more of a secular kind of home. The patron saint or secular saint thinker was Ayn Rand, you know, the writer of the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. And yeah. to think about, you know, to think about anything that you didn't ever consider faith, right? That just wasn't uh, even part of the palette of options. So uh, this is gonna sound like a punchline. 
So I went to UC Berkeley and became a Christian. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, that is just, I'm sure that's whatever happens to everybody when they go to it's Berkeley. It's amazing. There's just hordes of people like that. Um, you know, I think for me, it was trying to add up my life uh, as a freshman in college. I had read uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and it really opened me up, but it wasn't quite, got, hadn't quite gotten me there to, uh, you know, seeing the gospel as something I needed to respond to. And so I, it, it was like, uh, I opened the door. This is just sort of door closing. I opened the door yeah. and said, hey, this is something I really want to consider. And when I looked at it and looked at Jesus, uh, it, he was such a compelling figure. The Christians, thankfully, that I interacted with were really compelling, interesting people who lived out their faith. And I thought, man, I've got to come to terms with this. And when I really did that, and really saw who Jesus was and looked at the, you know, the witness in scripture. And of course, you know, sought out all the personal issues that I was trying to figure out. I, I found it very compelling and I became a Christian my second quarter of the Jan January, my first year as a freshman at, at Berkeley, really around this idea of like, what makes sense of life? Um, how can I put together the most important values that I have? How can I, you know, take these interests I have in something bigger than me and direct it toward, you know, uh, the, the living God. So if that's where kind of the seeds of the gospel were planted, where did your passion for science come from? You know, I think that uh, it's really fascinating uh, for me to think about this because I'm, when I, when I get into these science and faith conversations, often those are scientists who, who are bringing their science to faith. But I really come at this as a, as a, well, obviously as a Christian, but as a theologian, as a person who's done the history of ideas, and now I teach in humanities and so on. Um, so for me, it's how does science interact with faith? How do, what, what does it do for what we believe? When I say I believe in God, I believe in God the Creator, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. How does science challenge but also really inform that faith? And um, so that was actually the, the main way I came. But also it was, you know, being at Berkeley, which was a, 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 not a place, which shall we say, where people were praying in every classroom. And uh, one of my professors, I remember, heard that I had, um, you know, some level of belief. And she looked at me. She was a German from uh, German-speaking Swiss professor, Friedrich Hassauer, and she said, "How can you believe in God after Hume and Kant? How they, <laughs> how can you believe in God after these famous philosophers have integrated science, Immanuel Kant and mm -hmm. yeah, David Hume? How can you still believe? You know, and that challenge from uh, the secular studies I was doing." was really helpful for me to sharpen my understanding of what, how science and faith could interact. Uh, so like that set me on this path that uh, has just been, um, uh, we could go into details, but as I feel really God directed to, to be a part of what is a, a key ingredient for what strengthens my faith is, uh, the, are the insights of science and, and now even more technology. Well, before we get to the science and technology related questions, we got one biographical question that came in did earl the pearl palmer uh was he in berkeley at that point uh or was that oh, the yes. mark laverton era who was it that oh my goodness you from there well it's amazing i mean it was both of those people that's like i mean i thought god brought me to berkeley to go to uc berkeley but god actually it seems brought me to berkeley to go to first presbyterian church mm -hmm. where there was mark laverton as the college pastor mm. uh, and earl palmer as the preaching pastor so uh, yeah, they, he was there and really formed a lot of uh, my convictions about the integration of all kinds of forms of knowledge with our faith as Christians. 
Or you could say that it took two heavy hitters in order to get you across the line. That could be another <laughs> way of looking at it. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there's there's a lot of science in the news right now with uh, with what's going on with COVID-19. And um, and yet there's I mean, we talk about the science all the time, but there's all these different perspectives and opinions with regards to the science, Greg. And so what you know, you're somebody who's helped to study kind of the history of science and how we understand it. So why is this so politicized? Why is this so complicated and emotional right now? I think the main thing that we're uh, struggling with, with uh, the COVID-19 response and understanding the science is that um, it's really a matter of trust. And science isn't just science for a lot of people. It's about a cultural question. So um, there are people who are brought up or nurtured in a culture in which science is seen as something that's antithetical, you know, against faith. Uh, others, like myself, uh, I grew up with an engineer dad, so I always liked science uh, and, the, and the practice of science. And, uh, and, and so for me, I think a lot of it is the cultural question. Do yeah. we trust this? Is this something that's against us? And uh, as much as I'm a pro-science person, I do want to say that there are reasons uh, to to, to feel like science has been used against Christians at different times. Um, and so it's not a completely irrational response, but I think for many people it's, well, um, are they telling me things that are, you know, as scientists that aren't, aren't trustworthy, aren't believable. So I think it really first for most of us comes as a cultural question of, you know, what do we trust? Who do we trust? And if I could just put in a plug, uh, Francis Collins, who wrote one of the most important books on this topic, The Language of God, and who just won the Templeton Prize today, um, he is the head of the National Institutes of Health, which oversees how we're responding to you know the COVID virus. And he's a lightweight. Yeah, lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> head of the Human Genome Project. Genome Project. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I think for he, whatever he says, I can just tell you, I know Francis Collins. I've met him personally. He, you can trust him. He's a good, faithful Christian person, uh, Christian, and a great scientist. So um, I, I always point him out as a if you want to personify what is the best of listening to science, we we can all listen to Francis Collins. Yeah, and I just put in the notes there the language of God for God by uh, Francis Collins is a great kind of great place to start if you're looking for a place of integration between faith and science. So so why do you look at that? Product plug right there. It's not even your own book and you're plugging it. I love right. that. Absolutely. Um, you know, well, people will often assume, you know, that faith and science are incompatible with one another. And, and where, where do you think this idea came from? And there's a lot of a hit. There's a huge history to this. So I've, I've got the unfortunate uh, element of like, I've put a couple years into studying this and trying to figure out all right. the details. So uh, I, I was thinking about this question a lot because we, it's a very common sense that we have that uh, science is against faith. But we should probably go back into history and just say that the scientific revolution, you know, in the 1500s and 1600s that occurred in Europe, like almost every one of those people were Christians. So, mm -hmm. the, so modern science as we know it was founded by Christians. And what, I think we'll get to another point about how, how Christianity uh, and atheism view science. Um, but uh, science is based on the idea that God created the world in a way we can recognize it and understand it and study it. And so that was the basis of why uh, these scientists like Galileo and Kepler and Copernicus and Newton, Faraday, blah, 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 you know, made 
uh, their discoveries which created modern science. Now, I think the, uh, the place where we begin to get some controversies in the 19th century, um, particularly promoted again culturally by uh, books that had this idea of the conflict thesis, that science and faith have always been at war with one another. Sometimes that was you know, built around Darwinian evolution, but also it was built just in the sense that there was a divergence of a lot of different disciplines and uh, theology and the study of uh, faith began to be diverged from other disciplines uh, universities began to be more secularized. And so we saw this split. And as a part of that split, some people said, well, look at, well, science has always been against faith. And, uh, and then that just got intensified. So, you know, like basically 150 years later, there are scientists who say, you know, to be a thinking, believing person who accepts science, there's no way you can be a person of faith, you know, represented in like a Richard Dawkins or a, or a uh, Daniel Dennett or et cetera. So I think it's this separation, again, not only culturally, but there's a cultural like separation historically that happened. And then they just got these two forces got pulled apart uh, over time. But we certainly have people of faith today that are good scientists. Um, and I come into contact with them all the time. Uh, not only like Francis Collins, but Jennifer Wiseman um, uh, at NASA who headed up the Hubble Space Telescope. There's these great scientists who are, you know, Christian believers, and that's that's wonderful. So one of the things that it, you know, if you're not a person who's ever studied this, you just need to know that the caricature that you can't be someone who uh, is a scientist and a person of a faith is, is just it's an inaccurate caricature um, because there are plenty of people who do it. How do you hold together that tension? Um, in your love of both of these two things? How do you integrate it? Yeah, I mean, I look at science and faith as like mutually interacting and, and sometimes, you know, even in friendships, there's, if you respect a friendship enough, you'll, you let that friend challenge you. And so um, I believe that God, you know, wrote the book of scripture, revealed the book of scripture, and, but also uh, following many, many people for centuries, have talked about God writing the book of nature and that God's the author of these two books and the book of scripture reveals to us salvation in Jesus Christ. The book of nature reveals to us what God is like as creator. So when I look at science and faith, I look at these two books, this one author, and I see how they converse with one another. And for me, that's really powerful. I mean, I, I think we're going to get in perhaps to a few of the specifics, but even as a person who's, again, not a trained scientist, what I love to do is talk with people who are scientists, particularly, you know, believing uh, Christians who are scientists. And I I just learn from them and I begin to think, how can this uh, enhance the faith that I have? Um, you know, like God didn't put everything into the Bible um, because uh, the Bible is focused on what we need for salvation and for life uh, in Christ. Okay. So there's lots of things that we can learn as we study this world that God has made. And that's what science does for me. That's, I think, the way that it for, it for me has been a source of inspiration um, and a source of, um, you know, spiritual life, honestly. We need both avenues of revelation because we can't we can't deduce everything that we need to know about God from creation. Like we need the special revelation of God's word, you know. So they 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 feed off of one another, and um, in fact, even Scripture tells us to get outside and to look at the stars. And I think anybody who genuinely is looking at um, creation through the eyes of humility and awe will be driven to want to know more about the character of God through what might be. Um, questions that are beyond the scope of science. You know, there are certain things science is based on repeatable 
observable events. And there are certain things that fall beyond the, the confines of, of kind of an experimental model. Well, one of the things that you've been particularly passionate on shameless product plug here is the Greg Katsona <laughs> book on, uh, it's called Mere Science and Christian Faith and the subtitle, which I love, Bridging the Divide with Emerging Adults. So you teach an institution with a lot of emerging adults, not a Christian institution, just a general state university. And, um, and you're particularly passionate and did some research in the area of young people and science and faith. Tell us what you discovered kind of going on that journey. Oh yeah, it's it's uh, such a passion of mine. And let me just say that if anybody wants to email me at greg at kutsona.net, I'll be happy to send a chapter of the book uh, so they can just taste and see, as it were. Um, you know, as I can tell from my uh, my history, you know, I became a Christian as an emerging adult. So that's defined as this 18 to 30 year old period where there's still a lot of transition happening, especially uh, in terms of finding a job and finding a person to you know to marry and having children and so on so this is longer period of being in between and um that particular demographic as you all know rich uh was the demographic that we cared for at fifth avenue which is amazing right. you know 150 new members every year who were in their 20s that was that was our charge i love that you know but that salad is like most churches pardon yeah. me the salad days yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so about 40% of those people will check none of the above when asked, what is your religious affiliation? Uh, so they're called the nuns, as probably a lot of people mm -hmm. know. And I'm really passionate about uh, reaching out to that demographic. It's where I'm called now to move out from the pulpit or whatever into a place where people uh, can see a Christian witness who may never go into a church. And when uh, the Barna group asked, why were these people, you know, checking that box, none of the above? Why were they walking out the back doors of the church and never coming in again? Um, they found six major reasons. And one of those six was the church was seen as anti-science by these people. Mm -hmm. So by the people who were leaving the church, by these emerging adults. So for me, among other things, all the positives I just mentioned, it's also uh, about the viability of the gospel can the gospel be viable and articulated in a way that's understandable? So for emerging adults, especially those like me who are outside trying to figure out, is there anything inside this building that's worth hearing, you know, that's worth responding to. And um, I think, you know, it's such a technologically driven world. So we, we need to understand the technology that's part of our life. It's science is seen as such a moral, uh, not a moral voice, really more as a authoritative voice. How can we engage with science in a way that is, you know, faithful and also, um, you know, really science friendly, you know, in the, in the best sense of the word. Um, yeah. Let me just give one quick little story. I was talking with yeah. Giovanni, who's a student of mine in my science and religion class. And I do these hour long interviews. We're talking outside of the student union center. And I said, Giovanni, I know you've had some, uh, you know, experience in faith. You went to this great Catholic school in the Bay area. Um, how do you see science and religion? And he said, well, you know, they're both useful uh, in the kind of classic way. Science tells us the how and religion tells us the why. But if there's a difference between the two, I'll listen to science because that's what I can trust. So I think that's the way a lot of emerging adults feels like if it doesn't really get validated by science, it may not ultimately be true. And that's the kind of person that makes this uh, this engagement of faith, mainstream science and mere Christianity so important for me. Yeah. I remember one preacher once saying that it, it used to be that we would say, thus saith the Lord, and that that 
was what people would listen to. And now the phrase scientific studies prove carries more weight than thus mm. saith the Lord. Mm. And, yeah. um, well, Greg, I want to get to a couple of the questions that are fun that are coming in here. We got one person asking, um, uh, is COVID-19 only a story about a terrible virus that's out of containment? Or do you see something that's more apocalyptic or spiritual that's an aspect of this event? It's uh, really interesting to ask that question. I have just finished reading 37 papers from my class on the end of the world. And, <laughs> <laughs> and many of them are on COVID-19. So like, yeah. it's in my head. Um, uh, you know, I tend to be a person in the, in the tradition of the, you know, of, evangelical reform tradition that says Christ can come back at any time. And mm -hmm. so we are always in that way, living in the end times. Um, he told us to be, by the way, Gregoreo, which means to be awake, to be sober. That's the Greek word, right? That's behind Gregory. And I think, um, so in a way, it's always apocalyptic. You know, it's always a sense that yep. he could, uh, Jesus could come back and uh, take us uh, to be in a fulfillment. I, Having said that, I personally don't see this as a particularly different time from other kind, kinds of plagues we've had, like the Black Death um, and other places where Christians have had to respond in time, in this earth, in this world, and show compassion and grace. So um, in that way, I think it's more of a call to discipleship, a call not only to love God, but to love God as you love through loving your neighbor as well. Um, so I hope that answers the question, but I see it as more of a call to discipleship than a kind of apocalyptic uh, you know, moment or something like that. I, I, the word apocalyptic gets so often co-opted into, uh, you know, a particular chapter of the story when apocalypse is a word that means revealing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and this is a very revealing time. Yeah. Uh, it reveals the character and the quality and the weight of our own souls and our own ethic and the extent of our ministry. It's a time of, um, it's a time of testing. So in that sense, of course, it's apocalyptic. And I'm, I'm in agreement with you that just as, just as everything is spiritual, um, I would argue that everything is apocalyptic because it is revealing our readiness um, and our faithfulness before the Father. We got someone else who's got a question here. Let me just say, oh, who trained yeah. you, man? You, you're pretty deep theologically. Where was Ooh, that first I the, internship? Yeah, I, I, I was that <laughs> intern leader. I had a Fifth Avenue that did that kind of stuff. Um, this has got one, um, and this one's anonymous, so you know it's good. Uh, what would you say to someone who thinks that COVID-19 quarantine is overblown and that the need for face masks, gloves, is an oppression of somebody's personal rights? Well, I mean, it's a really profound question. And, uh, it, you know, especially the, the right to have, um, to religion, right? Which is not only part of what we confess as Christians, but is actually in our American constitution. Um, I mean, in a simple sense, I would go, <laughs> I'd listen to the people I know who are really good, like Francis Collins uh, uh, as the head of the NIH. Um, um, my friend, Ben McFarlane, who teaches biochemistry at Seattle Pacific University. He and I did a podcast on this and he would say, you know, as a person who studied this disease, we need to have these kinds of um, uh, guidelines and restrictions for the sake of not spreading it. And I think that actually comes out of the, the commandment to love neighbor, right? It's not really, those things aren't for us. They're really actually more for other people um, as much as they are for us. Now, has there been a governor or uh, and somebody who's gone overboard? I mean, that always happens, right? So I think part of our political process and part of our role as Christians is to ask good questions and to push back as necessary. Um, from my account right now, I feel like, and from the people, the scientists I've learned from, it seems like we're pretty in a pretty good spot uh, overall 
Uh, but we got to keep asking this. We got to keep saying, in what ways are there other liberties or other things besides purely health um, that we need to take uh, account of? Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers the question without waffling too much. For right now, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, it is definitely a tension and a balancing act of of the rights of the individual and the society. And um, and I know that for us at Peachtree, like we. Um, we're not closed, we're open. Our campus is closed for most activities, um, but the gospel and the ministry continues to expand and to work through what we're doing. And when it's deemed safe by listening to not just to government, but to health professionals and to those types of things of trying to make wise decisions. We closed our campus before the government told us to do so. It was not mm -hmm. a mandate and we have the right to open back up, but we wanna do that Going to do that wisely. You got a question that came in here about Ravi, uh, Ravi Zacharias, who died yesterday. Um, and they're asking, can you comment on the importance of a well-informed and articulate kind of apologetic voice inside our increasingly polarized kind of a post-Christian or even anti-Christian culture? And what can we do to ensure that there's a platform to project and amplify cultural kind of voices, effective voices like this in the future? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is really important. And uh, what I was mentioning earlier about the amount of people that are disaffiliating from from Christianity, because Christianity is still the biggest lion's share of religious affiliation in our country, that we realize that in order to get the gospel out, we can't just be doing it through pulpits. I mean, I, I do want to put a plug in, Rich, and just say, I've so much enjoyed hearing your sermons. And as I've told you before, they're amazing. So I love good preaching. But at the same time, I think we've got to also, uh, as you will do, empower our people to be out in, in the world with that voice. And one of those voices, I think, is the voice of science today um, because of the power it has and the voice of technology. So I would say uh, specifically to the connection of why this is important with science is we have to keep seeing science as a Christian vocation, encouraging our youth, encouraging our college students to study science from a faithful, uh, you know, place so they can be voices in how science is used. Uh, I, as far as uh, Robbie Zacharias, I, 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 you sent me earlier on a, uh, one question, which is about um, science and the new atheists. And let me just say this really quick, because I think it is connected with the way uh, Robbie Zacharias did his work. Um, you know, the, the reason that science arose, as I mentioned earlier, is that there's this sense and there's conviction, really it's a conviction on faith that God created this world as a cosmos, not as a chaos, and that we can study it because it has order, because it has the laws of nature. And um, those atheists that want to say, well, there is you know, ultimately no purpose and no creator, they're kind of cutting off the tree from right. them that they're sitting on, right? Or the branch they're sitting on, because that's what allowed for them to find out uh, through science what they've discovered, if they're using science as a reason for their atheism. So. I think a person who can challenge that kind of worldview approach, um, uh, John Lennox is another one who's been really good at that, yeah. um, to say, wow, it is actually Christianity that makes more sense of science than atheism. And so I think challenging those worldviews needs to be done by people like those uh, people who know well how to articulate that kind of approach mm -hmm. um, and do it in a way that's winsome in a way that is compelling. So uh, you know, I think that's a part of um, speaking into the world in which we live today. I think it was Francis Bacon that once said that a little bit of science takes a man away from God and a lot of science will bring him back. Hey, Greg, we're so grateful for your teaching ministry, your role, your influence on my life and the life of our family. And 
you and Laura modeling faith for us and watching the legacy and the fruit of your ministry continue. Just so grateful for you. Thanks for taking 30 minutes out of your day to, to come and to be with um, Peachtree and beyond. And this is a kind of a sign off for Grace Moments Live for the season, but I want to say thank you to everybody. We didn't get to every question. Great questions. Keep exploring and uh, remember that curiosity is not the opposite of faith. Um, it's one of the preconditions of a sincere faith. So thank you all for being with us today. Greg, thank you. And you guys have a great night. Thanks, Rich. Good to see you. You too. <laughs>